You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. You have Darcy Muller, an exceptional guest and real estate entrepreneur out of Calgary, region of Alberta, successful author of more than four books, business focus on land development and all sorts of fun. And thanks again for joining us for the second time to talk more about land development and all of the construction aspects of uh, the land development. How are you, Darcy? Good. Glad to be back. How are you doing? Thank you, Darcy. Thank you again for being with us today and I appreciate you taking the time. I would uh, I would like to start with a new subject today, which is being um, to, 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 to focus on as the land development versus the flips and also return of time and the risk of land development. Sure. No, that's great. Yeah. So uh, we talked last time about kind of these micro strategies. So yeah. in land development, so just changing zoning or density or uh, land assembly where you put two or three lots together and get those ready for a builder or tear down a 1930s house and build a duplex. So those kind of micro strategies. Yeah. Those are all really good alternatives to kind of the short term, the traditional things that we look at, like um, uh, flips or condo conversions, stuff like that. So mm. these can really fit in nicely there. And what I like more about these, the land development side is, is return on time. So typically, uh, you've got a really good chance of, of making more money on one micro strategy land development deal than you could on a flip, mm. but you're spending considerably less time. Uh, on it because your teams, once you found the project and put the deal together, your team, you're a civil engineer or planner is doing most of the work. So in terms of time spent by you in relation to the amount you make, it's, it's can be significantly good return on time. And I know a lot of flippers. I was one of them that uh, it's hard to do flips, right? It takes a lot of time. You're, you're at the site every day and you know, my, my uh, drywaller didn't show up today. What am I going to do? And then you spend most of your time in your car driving around, get materials and stuff. So it, it can be really time consuming where this, we kind of hand off to the civil engineers and the planners and we let them do most of the work, the back and forth with the city and then of all of that. And then if you are gonna do one of the strategies where you're working on site, again, you're gonna let the professionals do that too. So I, I really would suggest if you're flipping and having a lot of problem, you're not having fun or it's just taking too much time that you might wanna check out these uh, other micro strategies in land development because I can, can. I think this is one of the things I even it's in your book that on land development there's a pros but the cons and always uh, is a the actual time frame that you have to be quick to finish your project and this is an actual risk especially on recessions and inflation. So what is your mit- risk mitigation plan especially right now where everyone is talking about we're in inside the recession already. Uh, we don't know what's going to be the interest rate going up. The cap rate is already compressing. And like, what is the actual um, uh, risk risk management for your deals when you're dealing with this kind of unknowns? One of them is the time. Right. So um, investing in Alberta over the last 20 years, I'm, I'm well aware of the ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs yeah. of the market, right? So yeah. One of the things I've learned is get in and out quick. And that's what makes these micro strategies so great too, right? Because you can just, what I call, move the needle. So 
you know, with a flip or with a condo conversion, uh, you have to finish the project for it to be worth anything, right? You can't sell a half finished flip uh, and expect to get any money for it, right? But mm -hmm. with these micro strategies, you can just move the needle, right? So let's say you just buy some land, change the zoning and density, and then sell that. Or the next step, you, you do that and maybe you tear down the house, you can sell that. Like mm -hmm. at least because the value is in the land, not the, the building, you can just upgrade the land in little tiny bits and sell off. So then if you actually want to do the construction, if you're comfortable with that, perfect. If you're not, you know, you can get out at various stages before and sell it to a builder or sell it to another developer just by improving the property. So that's a great way to, to, uh, to mitigate the risk by doing that. So, and then the other thing you can do is, is again, picking your strategy based on what you like and, and what makes you comfortable. Um, let's say you want to build. Uh, hmm. I wouldn't suggest you doing all the zoning and developing and applying for permits and doing all that stuff. I would, I would try to look for land that's already zoned the way you want it and then get right to the building and save yourself a bunch of time. Hmm. If you don't want to build, then look for land where you can get an uplift by changing zoning or density. So you tailor your, your searches for what kind of land you're finding based on, on what you want to do. And that way you can save a lot of time and get in and out quick, as I say, so you're not. <laughs> but just another comment real quick. Um, I'm 55. I bought my first house when I was 20 in 1987. Mm. And I paid 12 and a half percent interest. So you're coming from this. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. a little perspective here. So anyway, so, uh, and I thought I was lucky because in the earlier eighties, interest rates were like 16%, 18%. So I thought I got to deal at 12 and a half. So that's uh, traditionally though, the 1970s, the nineties, the two thousands interest rates are always kind of between five and 8%. So this is, we're actually kind of getting back to normal. If you look at it that way, because kind of that 1%, one and a half, 2%, that wasn't really sustainable. Hmm. You know, at certain times, you know, it happened a bit here, but in Germany, for example, a couple of years ago, they had negative interest. I don't know how, like, how is that sustainable, right? So mm. it kind of get so low that it, it can't sustain itself. So we're kind of just getting back to normal. So people do make money at, at 5% or 8%. Like, it's been that. So. I think my next question would be during um, this strategies, what you, especially on uncertain markets right now, you don't know what's going to, but what's going to be the market after six months or one year? What is uh, your approach when you're dealing with, especially with your students, with a different strategy? Because you have raw land, you have land assembly, you have upzoning, maybe paperwork only. What do you recommend your students when they're approaching the market right now? Right. So I'd, I'd still um, get back to the basics. It always goes back to jobs, right? It always goes back to the demographics of an area. Are people moving into an area or moving out? Hmm. Uh, are companies moving in or moving out? What's the general economy doing, right? So you're still always, it always comes back to that. So hmm. um, you want to invest in areas where the, the long-term outlook is, is positive, right? You don't want to get into a place. Um, you know, that's one of the problems in the past with Alberta was that we were very heavily dependent on oil and gas. Um, back in the eighties, we were about 35% of our economy was, was on oil and gas. Now we're down to about 17 or 18%. We've cut that in half. So mm. that's something that maybe the media doesn't give us enough credit for either. We've actually done a, a good deal of work to, 
to separate ourselves from oil and gas. And, uh, and now that we're heading out of this recession, because we've been in a recession for seven years here in Alberta, hmm. maybe not officially or technically, but boots on the ground, trust me, we're in a recession. Hmm. Uh, and we're coming out of that. So we're looking at three or four good years here where, you know, Calgary was just named the, the third most livable city in the world by, hmm. by the Guardian. Um, it's a really, you know, so very high quality of life. We're getting a lot of not only investment money from Vancouver and Ontario, but we're actually getting people moving here. Like I was in Ontario, I was in Toronto last month and on the flight back, the person I was sitting beside was a lady in her thirties that uh, she was coming out to check out Calgary as a place to live. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so again, kind of pick your spots, um, look for places again, that uh, the job, the market fundamentals with an actual net immigration opportunities and and new projects, as you mentioned. Right. So it's, it's immigration. There's two parts of immigration. One is international immigration, people coming to Canada from outside. Mm. Traditionally, they go to Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal. They, yeah. come, they come to Alberta if, if the economy is booming. They didn't the last seven years. We had net out migration for most of the last seven yeah. years. Yeah. But there's also migra- intermigration within Canada too, right? Yes. Um, there's been a lot of there's been an uptick of immigration and they expect that to, to continue over the next two or three years in Alberta um, but you're still like I, th- I think everybody's kind of worried about Ontario for example you know we had like 25 percent uh, increases year after year for like five years it was crazy state. but I, I I think immigration is going to soften the blow there too right because mm-hmm. you've got whatever, 420,000 people, immigrants that the Trudeau's kind of approved, well, they got to go somewhere, right? They're still, most of them are probably still going to end up in Ontario, right? So, Toronto. Uh, yeah, so yeah. that's going to gonna help ease the landing a bit. And, you know, what we saw, it was another thing here, and we'll get off topic into rentals a bit, but one of the weird things about the last seven years with rentals in Alberta was you saw with interest rates being so low, you still saw all this stuff being built. So you still mm. saw these big towers going up in, in Calgary and, and whatever. Mm. You're sitting there saying, well, we've got net more people moving out than moving in. So yeah, who's, yeah. Buying, who's buying these places, right? Or who's renting these places? And what you saw was kind of a cannibalization of the older products. So like a 1960s apartment or 1980s apartment, mm. You saw people moving from those into some someplace nice and new. So the the rents of the the older stuff just got kicked, right? So and we, we saw some of that in in Ontario to a lesser extent too. But now immigrants coming in, the ones that have money or the people moving around Canada that have money are going to go to the new stuff, mm. and the immigrants that maybe have less money they're going to now fill those older apartments and stuff mm. too. So I, I I think that's going to increase the the rents and lower vacancies in those in that older inventory that older product so i think i here's last like last week is trying to limit the rent increase yeah which is uh, is going to be having a huge impact also on on uh, on the market but far from this I, I, my next question will be what was the upside to have a builder to be a builder versus hire builder uh, as a developer especially on on a smaller uh, land development uh, assignments or strategies. So what was the upside for you to have a builder, to be a builder versus hire a builder? 
Um, well, I mean, specifically in Ontario, it's almost impossible for a small guy to be, to get the, what is it, the Tarion, uh, approval that you have to actually, it's, it's a lot of hoops to actually become an official builder. So it's, it's yeah. kind of almost impossible to do. So you really have no choice, but to do it, but really as, far, as an investor, um, like for example, I, I, I've, I've called myself a full-time real estate investor for the past 20 years. And really, because I was on-site supervisor guy, really, I was just buying myself a job, right? I wasn't really an investor. Hmm. So I'd do a flip and it would take me whatever, four months, or I'd do a condo conversion, it would take me eight, you know, basically, I'm just buying myself a job, no different than if you buy a, a Dairy Queen franchise and you're physically there yeah. all day, you know, making blizzards, that's a job. It's not an investment, right? So yeah. I'm, I, my suggestion is lift yourself up a couple of levels, become a true investor, you're you're going to make most of your money finding stuff and funding it and putting the deal together and figuring out how that works and then let the professionals your civil engineer your your uh, planner do all the stuff through you know the application process back and forth with the city when it comes time to physically put pipe in the ground for development or to build that duplex let the let the professionals do it and, and you know you can lower the costs it sometimes by you know doing deals with them or you know, a lot of builders now will, will, will partner with you, not all of them, but, but some of them will look to partner. Sometimes you can get a, maybe they won't partner, but for a, a little extra bonus, they'll, they'll, um, they'll pay for some of the materials hmm. or they'll do a, you know, maybe instead of a, uh, a 30 or a 45 day collection period, maybe they'll extend it to 120 hmm. in return for, for a bit of the profit on the back end. So you can kind of work some of these deals hmm. uh, by having builders kind of work with you and partner with the builders. So that's one of the ways to, to kind of get around that. But I would always like if, even if you're in, if you have no construction experience, then don't even think about doing it. Uh, if you do have some, I'm still thinking you're probably, you'll probably make more money by thinking as an investor and just farming that out. Um, that's just been my experience. I think uh, one of the things is uh, important both in land development, construction, or multifamily is find the right partner uh, with the same goals. So how was this was like a, has an impact in your uh, real estate career? Because uh, we, we mentioned last time you started with multifamily, but then uh, during the different downturns, you realize this is not the, the perfect strategy. It's going up and down. You lost a lot of money before you mentioned this in 2014. So looking for the right partner, what was this mean for you? Like, did you had a, like a, an actual uh, successful partnership, especially on, on the land development, help you to scale your, your, your projects? Not, if, not originally. Like I, was, uh, I was a lone wolf guy for years. Like that was one of my, looking back, that's one of the things I wish I could change. Yeah, I, I've, I've definitely discovered the benefit of having Hmm. operational partners hmm. uh, we tend to think and most of the training and teaching in real estate is about how to get a joint venture money partner we're always thinking about the money partner money hmm. partner right and, and i don't think we give enough thought to yeah finding someone who can help you because uh, we, we all have strengths and weaknesses yeah. i was always good at the finding and the funding part I didn't like the on-site stuff, right? Mm. So I should have had a partner deal with that or else delegate it to another one. Mm. I've recently found a, 
a partner who's who's really good at finding money like they used to work for uh, mm-hmm. an exempt market dealer right so that's their strength so perfect i'm really good at finding the opportunities now i'm working with this guy to find the money once you put the deal together okay now let the planners and the actual builders physically do this stuff right so by not being lone wolf guy you can uh, so most of what i'm telling you here is, is kind of don't do what i do for for 20 years <laughs> But recently, you started to change this yeah, strategy, yeah, yeah. as I mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I went through kind of a change, a real depression in 2018. And since then, I yeah, I was all over the place, mostly because I wasn't happy. I was looking for another strategy. So I was always, instead of focusing on a specific strategy, I, I just look for the, the next opportunity that seemed like it would make money. So, you know, that's, so A, that gave me experience in all the strategies and hmm. gave me the knowledge very very wide knowledge to write books and do courses and stuff but it didn't necessarily you know if i had focused on one thing and just really became good at that you know i'd mm. probably be richer you know not that i'm <laughs> missing missing meals now but i mean uh yeah see yeah. <laughs> if you focus I, i've i've really learned over the years that success and scaling is focus perseverance mm. and funding right so and what are you going to focus on you've got to figure out your why and what you want to do and what you're good at your strategy to, to figure out what you're going to focus on. But if you can build a really strong team, have an operational partner and focus on one thing, you can, you'll do much better in the long run. My next question will be about the actual market right now. How you see the market on the last four months and what is your expectation about the market, especially on the land side and looking for, for opportunities from the seller perspective, do you see that there is an actual slowdown on 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 selling lands, or what is the actual current updates on? Especially that I think you're focused more on Alberta. No, I'm I'm kind of all over. Like with this course, I'm talking to people all over. Like um, I just saw this thing from one of the students who's a realtor, who's you know who said kind of the the down dip in Toronto itself is kind of leveled off. So mm. so that looks kind of good. I you know I, I still go back. You know, I always say that with immigration, with the housing crisis, I, I really do think that land development, new construction is going to be the next big thing in real estate education or yeah, in education and actually investing over the next five, six years. Um, and I, I think that holds true. So in the short term, you know, you'll get your ups and downs, but there's just such a demand for lots, building lots and actual places for people to live. We've got, um, there's a term that they use now that's kind of new, it's called the missing middle. And so that means there's lots of houses for millionaires or over a million. And contrary to kind of what you hear, there's still lots of money going to the lower income, the lower rental crowd. Mm. So it's that, depending on where you are in the country, but let's say that 300,000 to $600,000 house or condo that, that kind of normal everyday people can kind of afford so that's kind of um an actual term now the missing middle so if you can supply like any business if you've got demand and you can supply there should be profit there right so i I still think long term or even in you know in the relatively short term there's still lots of opportunities to to supply that demand and and make a profit i think the next time we're going to need to underwrite one of your deals especially on land development break it down, show it to the, the audiences. It's going to be really helpful to the listener to understand um, the, the risk item, how you analyze, analyze the, the risk mitigation part and 
more about the lending side about it. But again, thank you again for being our guest today. Uh, focus on a really important subject, basically, especially as you mentioned, is a gap on the market and it's going to be really a big hat on the next five years uh, to uh, cover and uh, help the, the actual need on the market, especially with the new immigration coming internationally or internally. What, what you're finding, just one more thing, that you're finding in a lot of the smaller towns or even good-sized cities, hmm. um, because we focused on condos yeah. instead of rental yeah and because we focused on the higher end houses um, a lot of the inventory is old right and so now yeah. just normal you know it's time to be replaced so you're going to see a lot of a lot of that older stuff knocked down and replaced with newer especially stuff. in old old towns yeah the, the product is really old um, versus in in in, in toronto you still find the uh, apartment like products 60s and 70s uh, but uh, in old towns all, all of the actual single family homes is uh, 40s and and 30s uh, yeah so this is going to be you know, even that 1970s 1970s there's a lot of stuff from the 50s and 60s yeah and so even that's you know 70 years old now right so i mean it's yeah getting up there too right so yeah i was like checking godfather it's been 50 years on godfather yeah <laughs> 1972 so yeah yeah so it, it's um and it's getting hard to ensure that old stuff it's getting yeah. hard to i was i was just talking to a, a student today who's also a, a housing inspector hmm. and he says he goes into houses all the time and, and why are why are you why are you flipping this why are you burying this like it just tear it down right like it's you know there's no insulation um you know if it hasn't been changed yet it's single pane glass it's old aluminum wiring and old pipe and you know like they're just they're tiny rooms like so i think a lot of the times we flip and burr these because there's so much competition we can't find anything else but really part of my mission is to get people to think different you know maybe flick a switch in their head that says yeah no let's let's tear down because it's really inefficient too to have like a 800 square foot house on a 50 foot lot that's just a really inefficient use of land right and with the housing crisis we need to we need to be better there i so think the, the better it. strategy is going to be a, a hard, like hard um strategy with a new interest rate i think the better strategy was not that's famous on the 90s and 80s no no because of the industry does it make sense well the other thing too is we well we did it we just didn't call it bird is a new thing before yeah, it was yeah. just instead of fix and flip, it was fix and hold, right? Like so yeah, yeah. Huh? We, we just call it different. But uh, you you still end up with one family living on that lot, yeah, which is very inefficient. So let's get four or five families living on that same land, and and then now we can get the younger people place to rent or place to buy and take care of that missing middle that I was mm. talking about. So yeah, I think it's all kind of coming together. And, and lots of opportunities for investors to, because to, there's no end of older stuff. So once you kind of tweak your brain to think differently. It's... 100%, 100%. Uh, thanks again for being with us today. And as you promised us, we're going to underwrite a deal next time. We're going to share it and we're going to go from there. Okay, sounds good. Thanks a lot.